Hello, everybody. This is another Bottle Down. My name is Mark Rayshep. I'm your host. And every week we talk wine in the wine industry with various wine people around Austin, Texas, or visitors coming uh, through town. Uh, the show broadcasts on 91.7 FM every Tuesday, 1 to 2 p.m. in Austin, Texas, and then we make this podcast out of it, so I'm really glad you're checking it out. Make sure to subscribe to the show if you're not on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. It, it, it's a, a great way to not ever miss any great content. So um, we are here two days before Thanksgiving. Of course, you might be listening to it after uh, that, but I think you'll still have fun with it. Um, everybody I know is buzzing around these couple days before Thanksgiving, getting their wines. And so, as is the tradition, to uh, open the phone lines up uh, during our live show and take phone calls from the public and talk about uh, traditional pairings, more daring pairings. Uh, and I always try to have some fun wine people on the show. And uh, this week was uh, guest sommeliers Rania Zayat and Chris Kelly. And they are really, really experienced in the restaurant sector. They've worked at some of the top restaurants. Chris is, uh, has been doing the wine list for um, for Lenoir for a really long time. Rania has been with uh, McGuire Mormon Hospitality, working at June's All Day as beverage manager. She was wine buyer of the Four Seasons here in Austin. She worked at La Vie as lead sommelier uh, when that place just had a crazy wine list. Uh, now she's consulting with Bufalina and with Stephen Dilly, friend of the show. Uh, and uh, just so just a, an amazing perspective that these guests have. And uh, I really had uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with them. And I think we got some really great calls. So I appreciate all of that and all the listeners out there. So uh, Rania and Chris have um, recently created their own company that is consulting for restaurants and uh, and doing uh, graphics for wineries and label design and uh, all from the sommelier perspective. So we'll we'll hear about that as well. So. Uh, wonderful stuff. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and I really hope you enjoy the show. And Rania, maybe I'll start with you about uh, talking about Vintel and and what it is. Yeah, um, so Vintel is a consulting agency that really focuses on education as um, the foundation of everything that we do in wine. Um, so really uh, breaking down those barriers for guests, for um, service staff, uh, for people in general, and um, just really teaching them about what good wine is, not in um, necessarily a taste profile, but um, healthy wine, how it's made, um, and just having fun with it. Yeah, choosing wine for a restaurant is a very difficult task. You have both done this for many, many restaurants and also for retail. Uh, can you run us through how complex uh, choosing a wine is for a restaurant? Chris, you want to take this one? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's actually a really uh, exciting thing to do because, um, you know, you're tasting a number of different wines. That's always exciting. But um, with a focus and with a concept, um, it sort of challenges you and it allows you to challenge customers, too, in a, in a positive way. Um, with wine pairings and you know you're you're getting them off of the the ship a little bit right, getting them right. out on the plank and that's <laughs> that's fun um 
So yeah, so um, and 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 Vintel, I'm guessing uh, that what a main thing of what you do there is try to understand the needs of the restaurants, the cuisine, uh, what what if they're going for a large wine menu, a small wine menu, and then you really uh, you go from there and you try to choose the the, the right wines for the right price points, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, like you say, the the education piece is is a really important thing for uh, for a restaurant staff. I mean. You know, I, I go into a lot of restaurants and sometimes folks struggle with, uh, you know, trying to explain a wine. Wine talk is so complicated, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> how do you go about that? How, how, that seems like a daunting task. Uh, we really try to make it fun and get a lot of the service staff engaged. I think that they're really the ambassadors for these wines more than anyone else in a restaurant because they are the ones that really have the most interaction with the guests. Um, and so... And they're more familiar with the menu and the, you know, the, the seasonality of a lot of menus in Austin. And not every restaurant can necessarily afford to have a sommelier or a full-time wine professional. And so it's really putting that trust into the servers and getting them excited about wines and teaching them about what it means and how to pair things um, and just getting them to, to back up these products. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're going to be taking calls. This is our special call-in Thanksgiving show. So uh, if you're out there wondering uh, about maybe wine and food pairings in general or uh, what, what wines to be serving with your turkey or maybe you want some recommendations as to turn you on to something new, give us a call, 512-472-5667. So can we talk about your backgrounds a little bit and, and what got you into wine from the very beginning? <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's always an exciting story to tell anybody, um, and I get asked that a lot in the restaurant. And I try to shorten it, make it short and sweet. But um, you know, I always found that wine is a kind of the the hearth, the the sharing uh, you know object on the table, and um, I've always been gravitated. To, I've always gravitated towards that. Um, but I basically dropped out of college and fell into this very. Uh, unlikely role as a as a store manager in Chicago, yeah. and it kind of just I was like, wow, I am managing the store all of a sudden. I was 21, <laughs> um, and that began this huge wine career um, that has led me to Austin. Yeah. And this is a great budding scene, and people are very responsive to what sommeliers and servers and you know what they have to say about wine, and that excitement has kind of perpetuated my desire to further learn about wine yeah. and to share that learning process. It's, it's a never ending ex- uh, quest, right? It's oh, am- totally. Amazing. So, so these days you, you can be found on the floor of Lenoir. Uh, yes. and I, I think that that restaurant is doing such amazing things in terms of, uh, experimental or, or, or food that is just exciting. And, uh, and as well as your wine pairings and the wines that you have on the list are, are innovative, they're, they're wines that I think really go with food. Can you talk yeah. about uh, that? What does it mean to have uh, a wine that, that, that goes with food? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and that's a great, I mean, that's a great concept, right? We, we think about wine as uh, this, this thing, this com- commodity oftentimes, and it's really nice to kind of open that door and make it more of, a, uh, of, of an experience, a full experience. And you can do that easily with food and People ask me all the time what comes first, and I'm always like, the food, actually. Um, you, need, you need a really solid idea of food to make a good pairing. 
Yeah. And that's why Thanksgiving is so interesting. What is kind of our traditional thought uh, in terms of uh, what we do with turkey and, uh, and with poultry in general? Do you guys want to talk about that? Sure. Um, it's, it's an interesting concept um, because I feel like there are like classic pairings always. Like there are certain things that you can pair with uh, poultry especially, but you know, you're always talking about like fish needs white wine and like, you know, red meat needs red wine. And there's, fortunately now in our market, there's so many things available to us um, that makes a great conduit for, for pairings of all sorts. Um, so like the classic pairing for turkey, a lot of us, uh, sommiers might say Beaujolais or Pinot Noir. Um, and I think that's a very safe pairing. And yeah. everyone's going to be like, great. Yeah, Pinot Noir. I've heard of it. <laughs> Gamay, maybe I've heard of it. And, uh, you know. There, there are other things that I think are, are fun, too. Well, well, we'll get we'll get into those in a little bit more depth, but um, I'm, I want to bring our first caller in. Hello, you're on the air. How you doing? My name's George. I'm a big fan of the show. Hey, George, thanks for giving us a call. What, uh, what are you thinking this Thanksgiving? Yeah, well, I had a question for Chris and Rania. Um, my family loves to drink Riesling, and here's a challenge that I always have every time I buy some stuff to take over their place. I can never tell when a Riesling is dry or sweet because there's nothing that, t- that says that on the label. Oh, George, that's a, that's a great question. So, so the question, guys, um, uh, how can we tell whether a Riesling, for all of those Riesling lovers out there who might like some sweetness or maybe not? George, are you, you're, are you more in the dry camp? I am, but my family all is, right. and sometimes I can't decipher when reading labels on what to buy and making sure they're going to get what they want to drink. Hey, George, thanks for the call. You guys want to, uh, we want to start talking about some Riesling? I know Rania, Rania's uh, headphones aren't working, so we might, uh, might have Chris jump here, and we're getting another mic set up here. So, sure, uh, yeah, George, thanks. That's a, that's a great question, and, and one we get uh, perpetually in the restaurant. Um, you know, there are a multitude of confusing things about Riesling uh, labels, and um, the, the history behind that is... Uh, uh, slightly in depth. I mean, it goes back to like 1971 and uh, the kind of change of, of Riesling labeling laws. Um, but fortunately, now there's actually a little bit more clues into that system. Um, and so it kind of depends on, on where you're looking to go in the world, if you're in Germany or if you're in, um, you know, Austria or even in the new world, that's a little bit more transparent. Yeah. Um, um, and, and so, you know, can you explain some of these terms that we might see on the label and how they maybe are, are a little bit more confusing as far as, far as German, uh, German wines go? Um, yeah. Uh, as far as, so we might see these terms, Cabinet, Spätlese, and Auslese. Rania, yeah. you want to talk? Well, let's make sure your mic is going, on, going well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, first of all, am a huge Riesling fan and um, have, have been to German wine country, and it's a, definitely a region and a wine style that I'm extremely passionate about. And what I really like about those wines is, too, the diversity that you can find uh, within a particular vineyard, within one producer, um, within especially this one fantastic grape varietal. Um, and so when we see these kind of confusing terms like cabinet and Spätlese and Auslese, um, this is really a, a category of wine that is based on um, richness, essentially, um, and ripeness level. And a lot of people might think that it relates directly to the sweetness of the wine, um, but that's not always the case. Um, so you can expect 
that if you're going to buy a wine that says Cabernet, um, that it's usually going to be pretty light, um, fruity, um, sometimes have a touch of effervescence, but overall just a very quaffable style um, of wine. And uh, Spätlese is probably my favorite category. Um, this is actually the category that's just a little bit riper um, than Cabernet, but really the Germans consider this to be their ultimate style of Riesling and their favorite um, style of Riesling to pair with food too. Has just the right amount of texture, um, still light. It can definitely be dry or even off dry, but overall um really balanced yeah wonderful why would why would we um you know in what situations would we be going for a drier style and maybe in what situations would we be going for a little bit of sweetness yeah totally uh like back to the cabinet where you're a little bit drier it's like literally referring to wines that they would put in their cabinet it's not exactly like the spate the late harvest it's not the wine that you want to present to all of your german friends and say fantastic have this rich textural wine um but there are applications for both, certainly. Um, yeah. Like cabinet, I mean, I, I love pairing with like lighter dishes. Like you, texture is really important. And uh, back to the transparency of Riesling, um, despite some of the, the weird, obscure labels, like when you see cabinet, it can be like just a touch of residual sugar despite that dryness. Yeah. And so that has this great application for uh, fish dishes or you know, specifically back to Thanksgiving, like, right. um, you know, a lot of brighter items on the Thanksgiving uh, dinner table. Yeah, or maybe just uh, as, as an aperitif to get us kind of going and in, in yeah. there's that lightness, that freshness is amazing. Do you guys ever look at the alcohol content to, to give clues as far as how uh, a Riesling could be dry or maybe have a little bit more sweetness? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, usually uh, when you see a lower alcohol content, this is an indication that the wine potentially has a little bit of residual sugar left in there because uh, the fermentation process was halted somewhere um, in the middle. And so there's usually some leftover sugar. So usually you'll see those wines clocking around 7 to 8%, um, whereas a fully dry Riesling still isn't going to be that much higher, but is going to be anywhere around 10 to 12 um, tops in some of the warmer regions, yeah. but um, thinking about those sort of lighter styles with lower alcohol, with more acidity, and even a little bit of sugar, I love, love, love spicy food with these wines. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Thai food fan, and Chris and I have have made, you know, kind of these non-traditional dishes on holidays before, um, like curried shrimp. Um, and doing like a beautiful cabinet Riesling is just really a magical. Oh, that magical sounds pairing. wonderful. Maybe you put jalapenos in your cornbread too. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, and then, you know, I should mention for George, there's this trend nowadays for this uh, really dry style of, of Grand Cru vineyards in Germany. Sometimes you'll see these GG on the label. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm in super in love with those wines. Do you guys uh, want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, um, GG is uh, just means Gerses Gewex, and so it's really um, the Germans uh, basically Grand Cru system for their dry wine. So it's their most prized vineyard made in what they consider to be sort of their most prized style, and that actually is dry. So it's kind of interesting that we have this perception of of um, this blue nun style of Riesling, where um, they're all sweet and kind of sticky. Um, and there really is a totally different world out there with Riesling now um, and the diversity. But those wines are really beautiful, usually have tons of minerality, um, and certainly make great pairings with um, spicy foods, but also fattier foods, things like pork dishes and veal, um, yeah. and things that have a lot of, of richness to kind of cut through that. 
Absolutely. I love it. Um, so uh, give us a call. If you have any questions, we're, we're having our Thanksgiving special. This is, we're answering our phone, uh, our, our, our listeners' questions about Thanksgiving, 512-472-5667. Uh, Chris Kelly and Rania Zayat from Vintel are here in the studio. So um, some of my favorite uh, folks in the wine industry, and uh, we're having fun. I, I, I'm really enjoying this. So yeah, the um, mics are working now. Okay, I, I think we're all we're set, awesome. right? <laughs> so mics are working, um, co-op radio, community radio, and that means we want to hear from the community, right? Uh, I know that there are more questions out there. So give us a call, 512-472-5667. Um, so, you know, I want to talk about, uh, we're going to take a break in a few minutes here, but I want to talk about the various preparations of a turkey and how that might change uh, the wines that you, that you might do. I, I know that, you know, the, the roasting of the turkey is maybe the most traditional, but there are other, other ways. We have deep fried and we have, uh, of Smoker. course, smoked. <laughs> and so, Chris, how does that make you change your wine pairings? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, there was a great caller uh, last year who was going camping, and we loved that. We're like, oh, that's really cool. <laughs> it was like kind of ambiguous what was happening with the turkey in the ground. Uh, but uh, that that kind of got us discussing what we were going to pair with turkey, and we, uh, as of last year, uh, started smoking our turkey, uh, which is kind of an arduous process, but um, it's really worth it, and the flavors are really rewarding. But that also yields a different pairing. Right, um, yeah. And so you're talking about like this classic, this classic, you know, bird Thanksgiving dinner piece. And right. like the textures are, you know, relatively the same, but the flavor is what helps the wine pairing and reciprocally helps the turkey seem totally, really cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, we immediately go towards like kind of smokier varietals like Cabernet Franc. You want that like charred green bell pepper thing with with smoke that that's always a cool pairing um but you know coming taking it back to texas it's like the some of the more classic pairings i can think of are actually not with wine um like with ciders or beers and last last year we were really successful with a smoked turkey and uh various ciders and and uh, saisons and beers that have a little bit more fruit and that are um you know have the the carbonation which kind of helps break up the textures of Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, can, can we, I want to clarify or, or dig a little bit deeper into, into maybe smoky flavors sure. in wine. I think, you know, some people may have had heard reference to that, but um, wine can really be quite smoky, right? And it's not necessarily from there being a fire nearby, yeah, <laughs> although totally. it could be, right? Right. <laughs> Especially this year. <laughs> well, what, so what, what are those varieties? You mentioned Cabernet Franc. Are there other ones? Uh, and, and, you know, would that go with that, that smoked turkey character? Yeah, um, I uh, definitely go towards uh, southern France um, a lot here with those types of flavors, um, particularly the regions like the Rhone Valley and Provence, Languedoc. um, Northern Rhone Syrah is um, one of those varietals that I feel like always um, showcases this really beautiful kind of smoked meat note in and of itself, which, um, you know, obviously can work really well with a a dish that has similar flavor components. Um, It's peppery and meaty and savory and 
um, herbaceous. And I think that it is a really nice condiment to a dish like smoked turkey. Right. Uh, and, and maybe if you were, uh, you know, putting some slabs of bacon on, uh, on that smoked turkey as go. well, I, I'm going to, I love Northern Rhone wines and, and that's going to definitely be on my table, uh, this year, uh, live in the studio here, Chris Kelly and Rania Zayat from Vintel. And we'll be back right after these messages. What do you guys think about uh, about your side dishes, and how does that affect? I mean, Thanksgiving is this cornucopia of side dishes, and uh, what what is your favorite side dish that you look for it and always kind of uh, make sure is nearby you at the Thanksgiving ta- table? Um, well. <laughs> There, that's an interesting question. Um, I am usually excited about the dinner rolls, um, mostly. Uh, I think it's definitely one of those those comfort things that you know, no matter who's making them, they're usually always pretty pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I also want something green and and fresh and crunchy, and um, you know, something to sort of counterbalance all of the the rich dishes that we're eating, like the turkey and the potatoes and all of that. So. Um, like this year, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm going to make a Brussels sprout salad, something that's crunchy and bright and, and still somewhat healthy. Um, but yeah. yeah, well, that's hard. So you bring up a really good point that I want to I want to dig into a little bit is that all of this butter and whatnot can get can and, and butter and starches can get very heavy. Right. And uh, and so you're wanting this green crunchiness. But that also that role can also be the wine, the wine that cuts through that 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 fat and that starchiness to, to freshen you up. I think that that's, yeah, Chris, totally. what you were kind of alluding to in uh, in, in these high acid wines, this Beaujolais and, and sure. whatnot. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, can so so if we were to kind of uh, maybe run through some of the most popular ones, just in case people uh, have on their list that that they know. Um, so so you said Beaujolais definitely. Syrah can be a pretty high high acid. What yeah. else can we be looking to? Um, I always veer towards uh, Piedmont. Um, Nebbiolo I think is is great because not only does it have a lot of natural acidity, but also really nice um, structure and big tannin, uh, which tannins are really work well with with fattier dishes to sort of cut through that richness and sort of break down those molecules on your palate. Um, so I, I'm a huge huge fan of of. Piedmontese reds. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and there's a and and you know you mentioned Nebbiolo, but also we shouldn't necessarily forget about Barbera, which has a, t- sure. a ton of acidity and and Dolcetto. and Dolcetto as well. Uh, what you're uh, kind of referring to in these, uh, you know, and also in the value camp, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, going back to uh, the the favorite thing, a condiment um, is for me, like oddly, cranberries. I think those are so important and it's like this conduit to literally everything on the table but like what are cranberries like that that tactile sensation is like sweet sour but you can also do that with wine too right right. so if you think about food and wine pairings on the thanksgiving table it's a lot to me a lot about thinking about that cranberry sauce and like last year ronnie made an awesome cranberry sauce and it had like like orange and maybe ginger, I don't know, but it was really interesting and complex <laughs> and it sort of made this bridge to like the onslaught of random stuff that we had. Can you describe that bridge concept? Yeah, it, totally. Yeah. Uh, so it, to me, it's like you were talking about uh, like textures or uh, brightness and wine. And to me, it's, you know, like back to George's question, like Riesling, like if you have a Spätlaser Riesling, that's kind of like your pillow. 
right? It's a pretty like not obnoxious flavor, but there's a lot of texture and residual sugar there. Right. And not always, but you know, it's, you can lay a lot of flavors on top of that. Yeah. And so that in a way is a bridge. That's a conduit to other, you know, a spicier dish or something with more salt, for instance. Um, you yeah. know, you have to think about pairings as like, where am I at and where do I want to go? Right. Not just like getting completely like plowed at dinner, but like, <laughs> right. where do, you know, wrong with that though. yeah. And, Right. Where, where is your palate going and, and, and that trajectory, right? Yeah. You made mention to this component that is sometimes hard to pair with wine, uh, ginger. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe there's a little ginger in the, in the cranberry sauce or whatever. Um, to me, that always brings me to the aromatic grape varieties. Can we talk about that as a kind of a whole and maybe hone in on some of those aromatic grape varieties? Yeah, totally. Yeah, because there's, I think, a lot of bridges there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I think of aromatic grape varieties, usually I'm, I'm thinking about white wines first off because there are very specific grapes that are um, usually have a, a huge bouquet um, and very floral in nature yeah. and even have some component or characteristic that reminds you of ginger. Um, and one that I think we overlook a lot um, in restaurants and also just when we're drinking wine at home is uh, Gewürztraminer. Um, and it's a really cool, very unique grape. I think a lot of people are afraid of it just because they don't know how to pronounce it. Right. Um, well, that's, you know, it's totally fair. Um, how do we break that down? How, or, so can you break it down and into, <laughs> yeah. uh, you want me to spell it out or no, no, just, oh. you know, <laughs> s- slow down your pronunciation. Oh yes. Uh, Gewürztraminer. Great. And Gewürz means spice. Right. right. So, so that's kind of that, that natural, uh, that natural characteristic of the grape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but this Gewürztraminer is a very classic Thanksgiving pairing, right? It, yeah, it certainly can be. Yeah. And, um, and, and kind of plays with the body and the texture of the, the, the poultry as well as making those bridges, right? Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, it, it's, it's overall very voluptuous. Um, there's a lot of body, a lot of weight, a lot of texture, um, in that grape and, and a lot of flavor. It's, it's spicy, it's, um, fruit forward, it's very floral, um, and I think that it makes it, it has so much to offer, um, when pairing with food. Yeah. Whereas, yeah you're, you know, you don't have like white flowers unless you have like flowers on the table. Like, you know, Gewurz is like a very aromatic thing. And when you and stick your nose in the glass, you can smell white flowers. Yeah, right? totally. That's yeah. pretty cool. Your, you know, crazy aunt has like a ton of perfume on, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you, you need some aromatic varietals on the table. Well, we're not addressing uh, difficult family dynamics here, but right. although that can be a topic <laughs> sure. for the last five minutes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else, you know, cranberry sauces, not to bring us back to, you know, we had that, that ginger in the cranberry sauce. Um, do some people like it a little bit tartar and some people like it a little sweeter? What, mm-hmm. what are kind of our rules to, to be dealing with? with uh, that and and how would that affect the wines that that we're enjoying yeah i mean matching sweetness with sweetness is important and you know the perception of sweetness can be taken from you know different palates but um so what happens in like the if if you have a sweet cranberry sauce and you're serving a a bone dry wine oh it just crushes the wine right (laughs) like the wine actually might taste bitter there might be more phenolic bitterness on your palate and um, that's actually something really that, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks I think ignore because they're following general pairing rules. Like, oh, it's a, it's a fish dish. So let's do white. 
Um, but there's a whole onslaught of varying degrees in sweetness in white wine, of course. Right. And those aromatic varietals can be sweet, uh, going back to Gewurz or Gewurzminer. But, um, you know, go to Alsace, for instance. Like, I'm thinking of a few producers in particular that I really like. Um, and their Gewurzminers are actually fairly dry. Um, and so with that sweet cranberry sauce, that might not be the best pairing. But right. there's other things on the table. And of course, Gewürztraminer, um, I mean, it's not the most acidic varietal, meaning it doesn't have the brightness that, say, maybe a Riesling does or a Pinot Blanc, something else. But um, that's okay because it's rich. You have rich mashed potatoes or you have stuffing and you have these other complementary, complementary rich dishes. And so that, to me, is a textural pairing. Right, right. So you can kind of bend the, like, classic acid pairing occasionally i like bending rules yeah. no doubt <laughs> and as long as you're you know you're having fun but you know I, I always tell people to bend the rules but then maybe try to realize why they existed in the first place or, or try to really be open to did this work or, or did this not and you can always say this didn't work and then still have fun right? sure yeah. Yeah. that's wine what um what so we talked about smoked turkey what about the 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 deep fried turkey i know a lot of people are going to be deep frying turkeys uh, in a couple days Rania, what do you think about the uh, the deep fried turkey? Uh, I'm a huge fan. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> she call. has a, b- a b- big smile on her face right now. Um, no, I mean, it, it's it's sort of this nostalgic preparation of, of turkey for me because that was something that we grew up with in my family on my mom's side. And um, it, it's exciting because it's, it's crunchy and fatty, but uh, some, a wine that we haven't talked about yet is sparkling wine. And I think that this is mm. such a perfect um, preparation to enjoy um, many different styles of sparkling wine, but I mean, again, we're coming together to to be with our friends and our family, and um, what better wine to celebrate um, and to pair? Um, it's not just a let's pop the cork and, and toast some glasses together. It's also a, a real wine that can be paired with food too. What I think people forget that. Right? Can you give us the wine 101 on sparkling wine? Just uh, two, two, three minutes, uh, breaking down the various kinds. Sure. This is this is a task because this could be a whole several hour <laughs> show as sure. well. But um, but what what are you what are you looking for? I mean, we have champagne, we have proseccos. What, what what are kind of the broad things that we need to pay attention to, and how would that affect the food pairing? Absolutely. Um, so sparkling wine can come in, in in many variations as far as body texture, acidity, sweetness, um, color, even, um, and and taking those into consideration when we're we're pairing. So when you think of something like champagne or wines that are made in this traditional um, method or traditional style, uh, usually we can expect them to be somewhat richer, um, usually a little bit more toasty because of the contact with the lees, um, usually more bread and savory um, elements if they're usually made in a classic brute style, um, which I think is what most people seek out. Right, right. Um, And so pairing that with uh, something fatty because those wines naturally have a lot of acidity, Mm -hmm. um, like fried turkey, and I, I would... I'm personally a dark meat type of person, so I like to go towards that, and I think that those work well, especially with the dinner rolls. <laughs> right, right. So more, more more flavor means more acidity, more more richness in the champagne, right? Right. And and you kind of can't get 
richer than than real champagne and and um, you know prosecco might be a really great way to kind of start off the the afternoon uh, you know early afternoon get yeah. us uh, you know with some appetizers and whatnot but I think that once you get into the the meal yeah uh, you're with me Chris oh totally I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm tasting the prosecco and the Francia Corda right now right <laughs> um, yeah I mean it, it's it's I like. Uh, there's a few new producers in the mar- in the in the market and in, in, in across the country really where there's pop tops on meaning like like beer bottle tops on sparkling wine. Right. I think that's uh, you know a little bit more casual, a little bit more uh, celebratory in a way, and caters to the beer drinkers or to the pet nat drinkers or you know what have you the larger format beer uh, bottle drinkers, uh, which I would include myself in for sure. Um, but as a pairing, you know, starting with that and then moving into something more delicate is always a fantastic idea. Yeah. I, I was once uh, at, a, at a very large tasting. This was, oh, maybe 12 years ago. And they were just launching this, uh, th- this one wine that was under that beer top. And, uh, and there was a Frenchman that was standing right next, by, uh, next to the table. And he said, but who is going to make the pop sound? <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought it always stuck with me that, that sometimes, I mean, I love the, the ease of that and um, of the, the, the beer top and whatnot. But you also can't substitute that popping of the champagne bottle. Oh, sure. Right? Totally. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, we've got another call. Uh, and let's see if we uh, hopefully we, we can hear you. Uh, hello. You are on the air. Co-op radio. Thanksgiving special. Um, hi. I have a question. Um I have two bottles that my granddad gave me, and I'm wondering if they should, if they would be good with Thanksgiving. Uh, I can't really pronounce them, but one it says um, La La Tache, okay, La Tache, uh, and the other one is La Chapel, and they're from they're from 1990. I don't even know if they're any good. Hey, well, uh, thanks for your call. Um, I, I think we're we're uh, talking about some some Burgundy here, right? And this is something that we haven't uh, a, a really touched on. What do you guys think? Uh, well, I couldn't quite uh, hear the second line, but uh, the the first one you mentioned, yeah. I mean, I'm I might not actually share that wine with anyone if I found it. <laughs> <laughs> if it was your um, grandfather's, especially. Yeah, no, that's uh, no, just kidding. Um, but that wine is absolutely spectacular. You should. Definitely drink that. Um, maybe don't give it to to your dad that drinks Bud Light Lime, but uh, I would definitely <laughs> you know share that with people that are interested in exciting. I, wine is such about history and a and a place and where it comes from. And obviously, if it's something special within the family, sure. Is, is 1990 too old? Uh, and then ba- back to that that question. Definitely not. Not it's for a that great, wine. Great vintage. Yeah, um, okay. it's a universal vintage. So usually. Um, most 1990s from from good producers are going to be solid and still drinking pretty well. Yeah, and and what was the second wine there that you were you were talking about? Uh, it's La, La Chapelle, C H A P E L L E. Yeah, La Chapelle. It's a it's a fantastic uh, vineyard actually uh, in Hermitage. So we're talking Syrah. Yeah. Um, 1990 is a fantastic vintage, uh, especially for Hermitage because it was very warm. Vintage and Hermitage is a hill in the Northern Rhone, so it actually did well with heat. Uh, so that's actually a very, uh, very special bottle, sir. Congratulations <laughs> yeah, well, to you. Hey, th- you're going to have a wonderful Thanksgiving. So Latash Pinot Noir, and then we, we were talking about classic Northern Rhone, the Syrah. So 
uh, hey, hey, do it and, and let us know how it goes. What's the address? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there with you. <laughs> Thanks for calling, man. Thank you. All right. Um, yeah, that 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 is a going to be a special a special dinner. Um, but you know, this what what happened? You know, I think he's bringing up a pretty good topic as to um, even though you have these iconic wines, it might not uh, you know it might not be something that is for everybody, right? What what happens to wine as it as it evolves and changes? Um, I feel like with not all wine um, ages well. Um, so there's really only a small percentage of wine that gets better with age. Um, but usually with red wine, um, you can expect that the structure sort of starts to break down a little bit. So your tannins um, usually become a lot softer. Um, the wine might get a little bit lighter in color, but uh, the fruit flavors will start to dissipate and you'll start to move into some really cool, interesting sort of secondary and tertiary notes where you're picking up a lot more of um, the earthy elements in the wine, um, these sort of smoky flavors sometimes, um, and a lot of the flavors become more harmonious too as they age. So nothing really is standing out as it once did. Um, the flavors are just more integrated. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. I would uh, love to hear from you guys. 512-472-5667. Uh, this is our Thanksgiving special. Uh, I've loved the, co- the, the comments so far. Great questions. Big thanks to Rania Zayat and Chris Kelly from Vintel, vintelwine.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Do you guys do things traditionally? Or uh, what are your questions for Thanksgiving? We'll take a short break. Give us a call, and we'll be right back. All right, we are back and uh, having a wonderful time here talking wine and Thanksgiving. This is our annual Thanksgiving special where we hammer out all of the wine and food pairings and why. Hopefully you've learned something. Uh, My name is Mark Rayship. This is another Bottle Down. And of course, it's Co-op Radio. You had heard about the Co-op birthday party coming up, so hope to see you there. Um, Chris Kelly and Rania Zayat are with Vintel. And, you know, so I think a lot of people... Uh, this time of year pick out wine maybe they're not sure what they're doing they might just grab the the label that is most aesthetically uh, pleasing to them Uh, and that is what you guys do with Vintel too you consult for wineries uh, and and have a list of and, and do graphic design label design how how does that fit into the experience of wine it's hugely important yeah right um I mean, we just have to admit that we're aesthetically driven people, you know, and it's becoming more and more so as, you know, the advent of social media and all of these things. And we take pictures of labels and that's how we remember them. Um, and so it's, it's this weird sort of psychological thing, like the label has to speak not only to, to me aesthetically, but it has to be one that I might remember. And oftentimes when I look back on Thanksgiving dinners and there's, you know, a multitude of bottles and old family, um, you know, great, you know, family memories, I actually don't really remember what wines we had. But if that were the case now, I feel like there's more and more drive to make labels more aesthetically appealing. Yeah. Um, 
which is hugely important. How do you guys tread the, the boundary uh, between the classic labels and the more modern labels? You know, that everybody knows that, that classic French label of a chateau being on a, on a vineyard and, you know, there being fancy script and then those modern, uh, super modern labels. Um, how, do, do you guys tread that line? Do you try and fit that, that aesthetic into uh, what somebody's doing? Or, or how, do, how do you stand on those? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult thing to tread on because, you know, like Rania was joking earlier, it's like, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, a winemaker's mother or their great-grandmother designed this label, and how dare you want to redesign it? Um, <laughs> and so it's, I don't know, it's a very interesting thing to, to grapple with because, you know, you're, you're dealing with history and you're dealing with a, a proven history of success in those wines, and they're known because of you know, hopefully their, their taste. I mean, that's first and foremost, but their label is hugely important. Even if it's, if it's gaudy or Gothic or it has this, you know, half faded chateau on it. Like, right, right. I mean, that, that screams a certain type of, uh, of class or classiness. And I don't know if millennials and younger people, uh, subscribe to that as much visually. And so I think it's important to recognize that. Yeah. And, you know, with the advent of, 75 whatever point four mil you know million millennials about to go out and buy houses and drink a heck of a lot more wine i think people should take that more seriously right absolutely uh hello you're on the air this is another bottle down on co-op radio uh, you're live hey i have another question um what texas wine is good to share or to have for thanksgiving yeah, excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that question. So, you know, the Texas industry is, is really booming. And, and of course, uh, this is a time of, um, you know, a lot of wines are being released. You have this kind of nouveau concept uh, going out, which is, you know, more so drinking local. And uh, how do you guys how do you guys feel about that? And, and what grape varieties are doing well in Texas? Does that go with the Thanksgiving meal? Yeah, I think that um, we've seen a lot of diversity within uh, Texas wine and, and wine styles and even grape varieties that different producers are working with. And um, it's been really exciting to see this sort of change, especially come about in the past five years. Um, but locally, I mean, there are a lot of really cool uh, producers. Um, some of my, my favorite wines are... Um, William Chris Vineyards makes a really beautiful pet nat. Um, that would be dynamite. So that uh, pet nat, the, the, the slightly sparkling version, and theirs is a rosé, It is uh, that would be dynamite. Yeah, it's pretty meaty and savory, but still has you know um, this really great texture. Um, and I think that it, it could work well with a variety of different uh, meats and poultries um, at, at the table. Um, I also uh, really like... Um, Viognier and Roussan um, that we've tasted recently from a couple producers as well and I think that these grapes are pretty cool because they do have a lot of weight um, in and of themselves um, and sort of this really beautiful kind of oily meaty texture um, but still maintaining this really nice savory profile and so those are the wines that you know like the Roussan for instance that I'd want to pair with the, the dressing and the green bean casserole and and things that are a little bit salty and um, yeah, they're just, it's fun. There's a lot out there. I love it. I love it. We have another caller. I believe it's, uh, Jerry. Uh, hello. You are on the air on co-op radio Thanksgiving special. Hi. Hey, what can we do for you? What, what, uh, what are your burning questions? 
Burning question. Well, we know Thanksgiving is all about the turkey. My question is about the dessert. What kind of wine pairings would you have with dessert? That is wonderful. We were we were just about to get into that, Jerry. Thank you so much for the Jerry. What do you like to serve uh, on on your dessert table? Um, well, I I found a new recipe. I'm going to be making a pumpkin bunt cake. Oh, very um, nice. And and of course the traditional apple pie. Of course. So. Wonderful. Well, well, Jerry, thank you so much for your call. We'll take this off air here. Um, what do you guys think? Um, I think it sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I get to try that. Um, what are the things that we have to think about uh, in, in the dessert pairing realm? Yeah, I mean, back to texture. I mean, of course you have sweetness, but you can have varying degrees of sweetness, especially in something like pie or, you know, if you're making the pie from scratch or whatever, you can you know, you might have less control than if you're buying ingredients out of a can, right? Sure. So um, I have this kind of cliche pairing, or it's not, it's cliche to me, but um, I like vin de liqueurs because you can get into sort of the liquor territory and various various people that might not otherwise like wines, especially dessert wines, um, kind of prefer wines that have a little bit more alcohol um and that that perception of alcohol may might remind them more of brandy or something like that so what can you give us some examples of vin vin de liqueur yeah so so like one that i particularly like is one called mac van and it's a style it's a fortified wine from eastern france in the jura region um and uh it has pretty extensive aging requirements and uh you know satiates the brandy drinker as well as you know, the snobby sommelier at the table that might just want like sauternes or something more expensive. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to, I love that. I mean, vende liqueurs are something that you see a little bit more uh, often and really bridges those gaps. Yeah. You can even make a cocktail at the end of, and, end of dinner. And they're usually affordable too. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw this out here because uh, I just want your impressions because it, to me, it's apple pie, which uh, Jerry was talking about screams from Moscato de Asti. Yeah. Where it's, you, you want to talk about that, Rania? Yeah, I'm a huge Moscato de Asti fan. Um, and I especially love it with, with fruit desserts, things that um, are, are bright and light. And, you know, we all typically veer towards, especially in Texas, the pecan pie, the pumpkin pie, um, which I, I think are great, but can have so much sweetness in and of themselves. Um, and I like ap- apple pie for that reason. Uh, my mom makes a really great one, for instance. And um, Moscato di Asti is bright. It feels really nice on your palate because it's just slightly prickly. Um, it's floral. Uh, speaking of those aromatic grape varietals that we talked about earlier, um, it's a really nice sort of light and clean way to finish up a rich meal. Yeah. Um, and one of my other favorite uh, is Bougie Sardon. This is my all-time favorite Thanksgiving sparkling wine pairing. And um, it's made of mostly Gamay. It's from Savoie, um, but has a little bit of this sweetness as well. Um, it's my favorite pairing with like a gingerbread house or a pumpkin spice sort of cake or bunt cake, like Jerry said. Um, it's the, the bottle of wine that I most look forward to, to buying. It's just hard to not love those. I yeah. mean, they're just so much fun. And that's Bougie Zerdon. Awesome. Um, well, guys, we, we've got about uh, a minute left. Any, any final thoughts? Jerry, thank you so much for your call. Um, and any, uh, what are you most looking forward to in the last 45 seconds for your Thanksgiving? Um, I think just, you know, sharing wine with good people and, and, and that am- amalgamation of you know, people might bring something that you don't expect them to bring or a bottle. And it's, uh, it's, it's very fun. You know, going back to last year, Paul Orsborn mentioned, 
bringing like three bottles of, of Gamay. And um, I think that's always a good idea too. You know, you have like, you can satiate a number of different people at once, but I also am really fond of having uh, a multitude of different things on the table because ultimately the pairing is about you experimenting. Absolutely, Rania? Um, I'm just excited to gather and eat good food and take the day off and celebrate. That sounds divine. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Rania Zayat and Chris Kelly thank from you. Vintel, VintelWine.com. Uh, everybody have a very wonderful, happy, and healthy Thanksgiving. Thank you for all the calls, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.